Eric Averill, and I'm joined by my partner Brandon Averill today. Disclaimer, Eric Averill and Brandon Averill are the co-founders of AWM Capital. Due to industry regulations, it's essential to explicitly state that investment or strategies mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you, and you should discuss your specific situation with a qualified, certified financial planner. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of AWM Capital or its affiliates. For more information, visit athleteceo.com. Hey there, Athlete CEO listeners. I'm your host, Eric Averill from Athlete Wealth, and you're listening to the Athlete CEO Podcast. Each week, we aim to bring you world-class interviews with some of the brightest and successful entrepreneurs, athletes, and business minds today, sharing actionable insight on how to get more out of your business, finances, and life. You won't be hearing any vague theory or strategies from us. Our guests have walked the walk and are committed to sharing the best of what they know so you can apply the lessons they've learned. Whether you're an athlete, entrepreneur, or just looking to hear from some crazy successful guests, this podcast is for you. Now enough with the intro. Let's dive into today's show. On today's show, we will listen into a conversation between my business partner, Brandon Averill, and Fred Clare. Fred is the former general manager and executive vice president of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Most notably, Fred orchestrated the 1988 World Series championship team and continued his storied run through June of 1998, part of a 30-year career with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Since his departure from the team in 98, Fred has maintained an active schedule as a columnist and analyst for MLB.com. He has also served as an instructor at the University of Southern California and as a consultant to companies involved in sports. Fred also serves on the advisory board for the Sports Management Graduate Program at Cal State University, Long Beach, and is a lecturer at California Institute of Technology. Fred is a member of the board of directors of the Rose Bowl Operating Committee, and it also holds board of director positions for the Special Olympics of Southern California, the Los Angeles Sports Council, and Life Skills for Pasadena Youth. Fred is also the co-founder of Scoutables, which is revolutionizing the way professional sports organizations manage financial risk around their most valuable assets. But what may be more impressive than the numerous business and leadership successes Fred has achieved over the years is his recent battle with cancer. At City of Hope, Fred had 28 lymph nodes and a nerve in his jawbone removed through surgery, followed by 33 radiation treatments and seven rounds of chemotherapy. Fred came out on the other side with a new appreciation for the teamwork that it takes to treat cancer, and in Fred fashion, has now turned his focus towards raising awareness and funds for the City of Hope through the Fred Clare Celebrity Golf Classic. So I hope you enjoy our conversation between Brandon and Fred. Fred, um, just want to welcome you to the show. I really appreciate you being here. Eric and I decided to launch this podcast. You were certainly at the top of the list. Um, you had a remarkable impact on my life uh, the time we've gotten to know each other. And the thing that you know we were talking about before we started here was just your leadership and um, you know the tough decisions you've had to make throughout your life. And more recently, your battle with cancer. I think that um, 
has been such an inspiring thing for me to watch uh, somebody go through and just how you attack that from day one. So my hope is we can uh, just bounce around some, some different topics throughout. Probably won't go chronologically, but hopefully it'll be, be something good for our guests. So thanks for joining us. Great, great to be with you and uh, whatever help I can uh, give, I'm happy to, uh, to do that. Uh, life is uh, an interesting journey and um, I'm just um, feel very fortunate to, uh, to be here and to offer any thoughts, guidance, or answer any questions that I can. Awesome. Well, I think a great place to start, we were talking about it a little bit before we got started, but, um, you know, pretty controversial decision back in the day. I mean, there's a lot going on with baseball right now. There are clubhouses and talks about strikes and what's happening with the front office and Fortunately, unfortunately, you had to live through that. Um, and I've heard this story before, but I just think what a great value to share it with everybody and hear about, you know, truly what I think is a giant leadership lesson um, from you. And so uh, if you don't mind us sharing the story with us back in 94, obviously we had the players strike, but in, in 95, you had to make a, a tough decision, probably not a favorable one, but uh, a true demonstration of leadership. So if you don't mind sharing well, the background, of course, was the uh, strike of 1994, and uh, remarkably and sadly, uh, the loss of the World Series, uh, unheard of, uh, a sadness for all in the game. I mean, the fans and everyone involved. And so um, with that uh, uh, work stoppage continuing, uh, then we prepare for 1995. Uh, players are um, are still on strike, and I hate to use the word strike because any work stoppage involves both sides. So right. I, I, I don't cast the blame on one or the other. Uh, I, I and I uh, during my time with the Dodgers. Uh, had to live through and live through seven or eight work stoppages. Uh, this was the worst wow. because this cost the World Series. So we had directions from the commissioner's office to uh, field uh, the best possible teams we could without our major league players and be prepared, and this is the important part, to play uh, National League, American League games. Wow. So that was a mandate that I took very seriously. And so as we prepared to, uh, for the 1995 season and teams were scrambling for players and some guys who uh, had retired or whatever the circumstance may be. But what drove me was that in, in thinking about the Dodgers in spring training that year and preparing for a season, Who's going to represent us? Because one game, and it was the way I viewed um, uh, my career in baseball, one game could make a difference. So if I'm preparing a team to play, I want the best possible players I can have. Sure. And some teams were reaching out, and there were stories about bartenders and bus drivers, plus <laughs> their hearts, uh, many others. Um, and um, I made the decision in thinking about this, that when you think about it, and you have 200 plus players in spring training, and certainly the vast majority of those 
uh, minor league or under minor league contracts, uh, what better source of talent? And so I went to uh, the players and uh, held a meeting. Uh, that, uh, let me, I got a little bit ahead of myself because what we decided to do was to uh, uh, ask our players under minor league contracts if they had an interest in participating and playing in spring training games. Sure, it would be Tommy as the manager, that it would be our major league coaches, that it was a decision that they had to take a lot of time to consider because it clearly had ramifications. Right. So the players that made the decision to come to uh, spring training and then uh, the question became as we were preparing for uh, the, uh, the season and communicating with the players, there was one overriding question, and that was, Fred or Mr. Clare, if I participate in the uh, spring games or indeed it goes into, will I ever have the opportunity to be called to the 40-man roster of sure. the major league team? And I said to the players that, as qualified, as long as I'm the general manager, we will call up the best player based on our judgment. So what you do will have in my mind no interference. Uh, you won't be called up because you did this or whatever. That's that's not the factor. The factor is talent. And so then um, the season uh, got. Uh, underway after a stumbling start. We came right back to Dodger Stadium and, and the Freeway Series before there was a resolution and then the players came back sure. uh, and had to, the major league players had to go into spring training. So now the season uh, moves along and um, uh, halfway through the season, I can't remember the exact date, Tim Wallach went down with an injury and we uh, had a need uh, for someone to replace Tim. Uh, we had a young man, a uh, great athlete at Albuquerque who was hitting home runs. I think he had 18 home runs, 50 or 60 RBIs. Uh, and that player was Mike Bush, who had participated in the spring games as, quote, a replacement player. Right. And uh, so when I evaluated who can help our team the most, uh, it was, uh, I made the decision to call it Mike Bush and it, uh, as history has recorded, it was not a popular <laughs> decision. It was not a popular decision, but he was clearly our best player and he did indeed help us, uh, win the division or get into the playoffs sure. in 1995. But I think the um, it created a tremendous amount of uh, controversy. As I recall, there was a story in the LA Times that no issue had, had ever created as many letters to the LA Times. Really? Uh, because what happened was when Mike came up, it was called up, the players were very unhappy. And there was a picture of, on, on the bench Mike sitting by himself and everyone else removed. Oh, and there was something wrong with that picture, yeah. obviously. Sure. And it's not as if I didn't understand the emotions of the players, of but it was a matter of my obligation. Who is the player who can help us the most? Mm -hmm. And uh, and he was uh, the player. And uh, so anyway, I did make the decision. I don't regret the decision. Uh, we went into spring training with our 
regular uh, players. And uh, and I told them, I met with them and told them, I said, guys, it's going to be very important because with, with the work stoppage, the fans aren't happy. No one is happy. We, we lost a World Series. We've got a lot of rebuilding to do. And the response of those players was so great in wanting to help and do what they could to rebuild the trust. I'll never uh, forget it. And actually, the most outspoken of all the players in 1995, as again history has recorded, was Brett Butler. Right. And and Brett is a dear friend today. Uh, it's a matter of where you were in the equation, sure. Because there, the 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 players um, who stepped forward, so many of them were some of the most competitive people because they were simply, like all in the game, were looking for a chance. So it was a uh, an interesting chapter. I, I, I would not certainly uh, want to live through that again. I wouldn't change any decision. But it speaks, Brandon, to the game itself. And as you mentioned, with the work, uh, with, with this year, uh, the current, the, the spring, and players not being signed, and, and uh, a certain amount of animosity begins to build and happiness. And, and, and rightfully so, um, you have to, players' management have to view this as we are one. Mm-hmm. We are in this business together. And unless you can create that, and yes, you go through negotiations, uh, but you have to come out as, as close as you can to one. And that's an obligation on the part of both ownership management and the players sure no that's great i appreciate you sharing that one thing that clearly i I wrote it down here in my notes but it sounds like communication is the key and i think you know from our experience talking with players and and running a business i mean certainly in the business world communication is huge um but it sounds like that was throughout that process and probably your entire tenure with the dodgers i gotta believe it sounds like you communicated more uh, more efficiently than most people do. Well, I, I think the uh, the players who uh, were with the Dodgers at the time that I was there can speak best to that. But the communication was always very important to me. And I, I made a point uh, along those lines on a, on a couple of things. I made in my, whatever it was, 11, 12 years as general manager, I made nearly every road trip. That was my job to be with wow. the team. And I don't think there were very few times when before a game, home or road, that I did not walk through that major league clubhouse. I didn't walk through to pat anybody on the back. I didn't walk through for any other reason. If the player wanted to see me, he had his chance. So the time I went through that clubhouse, by the time I went into the trainer's room, check with our trainers, by the time that I went out to watch batting practice for a little while and then left to go my own way sure. to view the game, if you didn't speak to me, <laughs> when something was bugging you, that wasn't on me. Right. It was on you. And so, uh, but I enjoyed that part of it because I always um, 
as much as anything, uh, respected the players and respected the talent of the players and certainly respected uh, the game. So it, that was important to me. Interesting. What I think that's what a great lesson. I mean, um, to be able to do that, obviously, the work ethic that it takes. And I think maybe even dovetailing a little bit into, you know, 30 years with the Dodgers. I mean, what a remarkable run. Um, not a traditional way to the top. Um, I think that's been pretty well publicized. Um, but other than, you know, communication and, and kind of having that honest and ongoing rapport with the players, the respect for the players, I mean, you had must have had that within the front office as well. Um, could you maybe address what you, I mean, what were some of the, the key things that you think helped you along your journey and ultimately to become the general manager? Well, I think the key, uh, the driver uh, for me is related to the game was my passion for the game. Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved the game. I wanted to play the game. I didn't have the talent to play the game other than the high school uh, level. But from the first time I saw a major league game, uh, I, I became a fan primarily because my older brother, Doug, became a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. So he started keeping a scrapbook of, uh, with the box scores and stories about uh, the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay. This goes back to 1948 or 1949. It seems like 100 years ago and it nearly was. And um, so I, I wasn't following the game that way, but because Doug had the Cardinals and had these great players of Stan Musial and Ian Slaughter and Marty Marion and Whitey Kurowski and on and on and on, uh, we we always competed on everything. So I took the Cincinnati Reds. But seeing uh, Crosby Field in my first major league game and games made an impact on me that stays with me today about the magic of the game, a major league game. And uh, so that was the background in terms sure. of my passion, uh, which in wanting to stay involved in sports because I really felt along the line that I would either be a coach or I would have some connection with sports. And writing became that connection, which led me to uh, the Dodgers as uh, director of publicity in uh, 1969 uh, to uh, vice president of public, uh, public relations and promotions after the 1974 season and to the position of executive vice president, uh, I believe, in 1982, and then ultimately to uh, executive vice president general manager in the spring of 1987. But the, the, one, the one thing about all of those positions that I had, from publicity director to executive vice president to general manager, I simply wanted to do the job that I was assigned to do to the best of my ability. <laughs> I never looked over here and said, oh boy, I'd like to be um, uh, whatever. I, the, the general manager, the executive vice president before I was in that position. The, I, I didn't, the only thing I wanted to do was to do the job that I was assigned to do to the best of my ability. And the Dodger front office at that time was uh, 
very, very small in number. Mm-hmm. Walter O'Malley uh, was still the uh, chairman of the Dodgers. Uh, Peter O'Malley is the president. Sure. Very small group of executives and legendary people in baseball. Al Campanis is the general sure. manager. Bill Schweppe is the longtime uh, uh, vice president of the minor league. These people yeah. get back to Branch Rickey. I mean, it, it, I mean, it was a history <laughs> in front of you, around you. And I was uh, uh, the young guy in the group, and I just was blessed with uh, so much uh, to seeing their dedication to the game and to learn from them, as well as Walt Alston was our manager. The coaches were great, legend, legendary people, Monty Basgall and Red Adams and, and others. Uh, I was just, I was very fortunate to be around that group of people. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, uh, it's one thing I've observed over the years, all the names that you mentioned, but uh, obviously the tremendous respect that all those people have for you participating in the City of Hope, you know, Fred Claire Classic Golf Tournament last year and, and just speaking with different people. It, that clearly came out and I think it might be interesting. You know, I, I definitely want to get to the, to the golf tournament, hear about that, hear about your passion and where it lies now. But there was a period in between kind of the Dodgers and, and certainly kind of your work on the, on the front raising money for city of hope. Now, one of those things was scoutables um, and your work with Ari Kaplan to kind of get that company off the ground. Um, you know, I think to me, it's it's very fascinating to hear somebody go from obviously the world of sports, all your time in baseball, a very isolated thing, something that a lot of us that do transition out of the game, we struggle in that period. Um, so I'd love to hear, you know, kind of just obviously keeping the passion with baseball maybe led you to scoutables, but what led to that decision? How did that happen? Well, I, I think, uh, man, and that's a key point, certainly for such a critical point in terms of players or others involved with the game. Uh, what what happens when, if you would, the music stops? Yeah. And mine stopped very suddenly because it was fired <laughs> by the Dodgers, so it stopped. Uh, so you, my thought process, that thought process at that time was okay, pretty basic. What, what do I do now? And uh, and there was a period of time where there were conversations and it looked like that I may or may not get back into the game as a general manager or as an executive. But the one thing that I wanted to do because at that uh, stage of my uh, career, uh, and this was uh, 1998, was to teach because I wanted to give back. So sure. that led me to USC uh, in a class that was just starting, sports, business, and the medium. That led me to an opportunity uh, at Long Beach State when my friend and uh, former coworker Bill Schumar was helping to launch the Long Beach State Sports Business uh, Program, uh, Sports Management Program. Uh, and then, um, uh, connected uh, strangely uh, with my past and time with the Dodgers was that a student from Caltech, a young man uh, by the name of R.A. Kaplan, had come to me, and this goes back to the 1988 or 1989 season, um, 
in wanting to get a better evaluation of relief pitchers. Uh, and Ari was uh, was then and is now truly a genius, Cal, the young man of Caltech, later became Caltech man of the decade. And so um, I invited him to come into Dodger Stadium and to, I met with him. Uh, he wanted then to interview some of the players so that when he developed a formula, an analytical or statistical formula, that it wasn't just something that was done in a lab that was based on the input of the people who were playing the game. Sure. So that led to my connection with, with, uh, with Ari. And uh, as life moved on, my career with the Dodgers, uh, Ari became um, uh, very successful in the technology world. Uh, and as a uh, young man, uh, developed one of the first handheld uh, devices, forerunner to the iPhone, hmm. uh, uh, funded for uh, $20 million, a young guy literally just out of college. So clearly, he was way ahead of the curve sure. on all of this and the use of technology. So Ari came to me and showed me, this is after my Dodger days then, the programs that he had developed. Uh, so this is 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> the programs he had developed at that time, and as I looked at these and, uh, and, and his analytical work uh, and using technology before anyone that I'd ever heard of that was on this path, I told him, I said, Ari, look, any team that wouldn't hire you would be foolish. Sure. I mean, this is a source of information that I haven't seen. And... Um, so uh, I helped Ari get a position with the team, or my recommendation helped him make it happen, helped him. Uh, and then he came back to me a year later and said, you know, I've enjoyed working for the team, but I really want to expand my role because one day I would like to be in a position as a general manager helping to make baseball wow. decisions. So if uh, I'd like to uh, ask you to join me in a company using my analytical work where we could uh, build a company and I would get uh, out, my work would be able to be seen. Sure, and I'll never forget this. He said to me, uh, uh, as part of the negotiation, he said, and if in the first year when we make this agreement, that I get a job with a major league team, I'll give you half my first year's salary. <laughs> and I said, all right, that's a deal breaker. I'm not looking for half of your first year's salary. If you had the opportunity to go to a team, uh, God bless you. I mean, I think that would be tremendous. So I uh, wanted to name the company, and we did name the company, Ari Ball. Right. And the reason I wanted that name is I wanted to give the recognition to Ari Kaplan, because he was the one who was the genius behind the work. Sure. And so that started uh, Ari Ball, and uh, we had um, uh, some uh, success, and we're working with several major league clubs, uh, and this was all part of the forerunner on all of the analytics that's so prevalent today. 
and then uh, a few uh, years ago, and this was at a time too uh, when fantasy baseball had this big sure and, and a lot of people and companies uh, uh, spending a great deal of money and looking in the world of technology of what could be done with all of this. But um, a couple of years ago, we made the uh, pivot, major pivot in the company uh, to change the title to Scoutables. And then uh, again made another switch in terms of how this would be used to turn it, uh, using, still using um, uh, analytical work on major league players, but more from a performance standpoint related to health. Sure. Uh, and uh, then moved into the area of uh, disability insurance because when you look at uh, disability insurance, when you look at insurance on players as the teams and as the players know, it's such a high cost of course to insure a player. But if you have the right plan and if you can have X number of teams involved, you literally can insure your team, your 40-man roster, for the same cost as one or two players. Right. And so that that I saw and is interest to me is how it could help the game. Because if uh, if you can more or less insure your payroll, you know you're getting uh, a certain level of talent for a certain amount of money being right. paid sure. as opposed to be having one or two of your top players go down and the season is lost. So we continue on this path and uh, uh, I haven't um, uh, been uh, totally active with the, some of the issues that I've faced from a health standpoint, but I, I believe in this. I believe in this for baseball. Uh, I believe in this. I think it's beneficial to the players. I think it's beneficial to the teams, and uh, I hope someday uh, to see that come about where this uh, takes place and where Scoutables and the great work that has been done. We partnered with people at Ideal Lab in Pasadena, one of the top tech incubators literally uh, in the country. Uh, so uh, it's exciting to see how sure. uh, technology is being used today. Yeah, no, I. I agree with that. I've been fortunate enough to obviously know Ari over the, the past couple of years, see the technology. It is truly remarkable. Everything that I've seen in the game, it's, he was the first one there and he continues to still be ahead of the game. It seems like, um, and kind of relating back to maybe the baseball days and, and your path up to general manager and then launching a company, are there similarities that you see out of the two as far as just, I mean, it sounds like tenacity well, I, I, is one think, of them. I think that's true. I've often said that um, the O'Malley's uh, could have been, and they were very successful in running a baseball franchise that speaks for itself, but could have been successful in any business. Sure. Because there isn't, there isn't a, 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 a difference here, really. Uh, management philosophy, structure, skills, um, apply whatever the business may be. Uh, 
what the key elements and um, one of the uh, the books that features that best in in my mind uh, is Jim Collins' book Good the Great, and um, I often said when asked that someone interested in a career in baseball or in any field should really read that book. Uh, there are they examine the uh, top companies. Uh, Jim Collins in his study group at Stanford, not based simply on stock price or price improvement. What is it that makes an organization successful? And a lot of the concepts in that book, under headings of the flywheel concept, where day after day you continue to work and, and suddenly you realize that you've advanced to a certain area. Uh, the other terminology that I liked in the book was the hedgehog uh, concept. It doesn't sound very attractive, but at the Dodgers, we were hedgehogs. Sure. We just kept digging and digging and digging. And because we had success, uh, and even in my days as executive vice president before the general manager teams would come to me and say, Fred, but What's the secret here for the success of the Dodgers? As if I could open my door <laughs> and pull out a list of things. Sure. I could have made a list of things because we had some great advantages, obviously the stadium, the climate, the history, but, um, but the fundamentals of, uh, of, of, of work and a work ethic and of enjoying what you do and of teamwork, all of those things are the same ingredients in any business uh, that you have. I, I can recall that the late, great Walter O'Malley was with him one time when he was asked, well, what is the secret of the Dodgers' success? And Mr. O'Malley said very clearly and simply, when the phone rings, we answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't get simpler than that, does it? Doesn't it? get simpler yeah. than that, but well, it doesn't get more symbolic than sure. that. Sure. Uh, and, and as our world uh, changes, some of these fundamentals get lost. Of course. But if you keep your eye on the basics, it's perhaps the, one of the most remarkable technology companies in the world today is struggling as we speak. Yes. Uh, Facebook, because some of the fundamental decisions that they made in terms of how they would conduct their business and, and, and how that could or might impact their customer, their consumer of information. Sure. So you you can't you can be the greatest technology company in the world if you stray from the fundamentals. Uh, it's not going to be a good outcome. Yeah, and it's not as if they uh, won't, because I'm sure they will recover. But it has an impact. It has an impact on how you're perceived. And so now Facebook is re uh, makes the decision as it should to take out full-page ads over this weekend as we speak. We want to rebuild our trust, trust with you. Why do you ever want to lose your trust? Yeah, That's such a huge loss because that's the one thing 
that I think for anyone in business, the most important asset you have is your integrity. And if you lose it, <laughs> if you lose it, heaven help you. Yeah. Because uh, you you won't get it back. You you may try to get part of it back. Sure. But you will never get it back. So I used to say, I think with the Dodgers, and 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 tell our people in meetings or executive meetings, everything we do, everything we say, keep in mind, ask yourself, how will this look when it becomes public? Because the chances are, in the fishbowl we live in, it will be absolutely, <laughs> and, and that and that applies to our own individual lives. None of us are capable of leading perfect lives. I've never met anyone, but when you make the decisions, how's this going to play out? How, how does this feel to me? And, and if you can answer that, okay. If it comes out, so be it. I'll own it. Right. Go for it. But if you think, oh, this could be bad, uh, no. Yeah. Don't do it. Well, I think that's extremely valuable advice, especially nowadays. We do live at fishbowls, especially yeah. professional athletes. I mean, out there, but everybody's out there, social media and everything, and maybe thinking twice before hitting hitting the send button or putting something out there, um, certainly internally, because everything can become public. And you kind of have been hitting on this whole concept. And um, it's a question that I've been dying to ask you, um, you know, something we talk to our clients about is as they're, you know, potentially ending the end of their careers and, and trying to figure out what to do next. We've, you've, certainly hit on the, the qualities that are going to make them successful. And I think those are increasingly and just such valuable uh, lessons to learn. But um, what types of things do you think guys should be doing as they're entering that phase? I mean, we, we advise a lot of times, Hey, if you want to stay in baseball, go to the winter meetings. You're never going to be able to talk to all these people. You're, you still have something they want. Um, the way you treat people certainly throughout your time as a player has a direct impact. We've seen that firsthand. We have a couple of clients that, uh, frankly have jobs today within organizations simply because they were the right guy. They were, they were a positive influence on the people they're around and now people want to take care of them when they're in need. So, you know, that's how we kind of look at it, but I'd love to hear your perspective. Somebody ending coming to the end of their baseball career, obviously they've got a long life to live. What are some things that they should be thinking I, about? I, I think there are a couple of main things. I think, first of all, that the thoughts uh, about what do I do at a certain stage in my life, or certainly uh, in the case of baseball, the end of my career, when you start thinking about that at the very end, you're too late to capture a lot of what you need to do. You know, you're never too late, but my point is that you really, a player during his career, should be thinking about where will I go when my career is over? 
because careers go so quickly. Sure. Uh, I've seen Chris win a time or two. He always says to me, Fred, he said, you remember when you called me up and we were there at Camp Stick and you said to me, Chris, enjoy every moment because it will be over in the blink of an eye. And his career spanned it some time. Yeah. But he said, Fred, I think of that so often when I walk into the game as a scout of the course. Where did it go? And uh, there are two, th there's one player who stays in my mind and goes back a long, long way. I can recall Lou Brock when he was with mm. the Cardinals, came out to Los Angeles, and he hired a advertising firm uh, to, uh, a major advertising firm to represent him because he was nearing the end of his career hmm. to uh, how he could go on. He had actually uh, some interesting uh, ideas or that had been presented to him, including something called the Brockabella. You Google that. Because <laughs> it was like that of the rain. I guess that was the essence of it. Uh -huh. The interesting thing to me, I was at a uh, sportscaster's luncheon with him. And he said to me, he said, you know, he said, what's really amazing, he said, I've hired this advertising company, marketing company. And he said, all of the things they're asking me to do, like to be here at this luncheon and to uh, get involved with other people, are the things that the team was asking me to do <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and I always rejected them. Yeah. Uh, now I'm paying this guy to tell me the same thing. Uh, I, I think you uh, you do have to prepare you because careers end and sure. careers end quickly. And you're very busy and you have to be totally dedicated so you can't sacrifice uh, the time or the energy or anything else. But there's still plenty of time to be to be thinking about what do I want to do when I prepare. Sure. Now, one, one very successful. Uh, there are many successful players who got involved in business. Another old friend, old old friend, because we go back to uh, my first year with the Dodgers, which was a year that he became the Rookie of the Year, and we were together on the golf course at a tournament when that was announced, and that was Teddy Sizemore. Hmm. Ted, um, as a player, as a young guy with the Dodgers, uh, had a chance to do some work for Pepsi-Cola and, and made good friends there, uh, the president of the company at that time. Sure. Uh, Teddy always kind of had in mind that um, I want to be involved. I want to make connections. And he did just that. And he went on to a successful career with Rawlings and now has been given, able to give back through the players. Uh, uh, assistant, uh, a very important part of baseball. Interesting. Play, uh, baseball players assistants. Okay. And so, uh, but he, he didn't start thinking of that uh, uh, when, uh, when his career ended. Ended. Yeah. Uh, I think he was thinking about that at the time that he was rookie of the year. <laughs> and, and he was to have a long uh, career sure. and, and a very, very successful business career. So 
Teddy today plays, uh, spends time playing uh, golf in Palm Springs. Palm Springs. <laughs> but, but that's a good lesson. Of course. That, that's yeah. a lesson. Prepare yourself and think about what it is you want to do? I mean, this, this is the very thing that I tell students. What is your passion? Right. What do you want to do? And the same thing would apply to today's ball player. What What is it that you really enjoy? And somebody might say, uh, I like to fish. Hey, no problem. Yeah. There, there are all sorts of businesses that you could get into because players have such an advantage if they handle it right. Sure. They have a name recognition. They, they, they have something that they can build every day of their career. It's a brand. Of course. Because they're out there in the public light. So you have to ask yourself, how do I want to be perceived and how can this help me for the rest of my life? Sure. And if you, if you think in those terms, uh, you can really, uh, you can, not only you can benefit, uh, your family can benefit because there's such, there's such an advantage when the spotlight is on you. And so many players bless their hearts get involved with charities and then carry right. that through when they're no longer uh, active as players. And, and, and don't think that the fans don't recognize uh, the, the, the players in terms of who cares, who goes out of their way, that perhaps the, 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 one of the athletes that I respect uh, the most uh, is Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer did more for the game, and that goes back a long time, but he was smart enough to see the advantages. He had been approached by a marketing company. Sure. I don't think anyone signed more autographs, made themselves more available, answered every interview request. He was the classic example. Wow. And you know what, what he is today? The king. Yeah, he's got a drink named after him. <laughs> Didn't get much better than yeah, that. You, 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 can't, you can't think of anybody yeah. um, any more respected than Arnold. Sure. By the players, by the fans, by the media, by the world. Well, yeah, no, that's, that's huge and a great segue because um, – the Fred Clare brand, right? You've uh, you've been a demonstration of this integrity and selflessness, you know, carrying the charities on and, and always putting somebody else first, whether it's making sure Ari's name's in the in the company name of Ari Ball. Um, and you continue that to this day. So raising money for City of Hope through your golf tournament. Um, you know, obviously you've been in this battle over the past few years um, of cancer. One thing that sticks out in my mind hopefully you don't mind me saying this but i remember the day you walked in here and and talked to me the first time about it and said they picked the wrong guy um you know that uh i don't think anything epitomizes at least my uh understanding of you and, and our friendship and just knowing how you're attacking this thing it's been inspiring um 
cancers touch our family in, in many ways. And I've seen people fight and I've never seen anybody fight as hard as you have. Um, and it's just, you're blessing obviously to everybody around you. And now you're taking that platform and, and raising money for a great organization. So, um, I'll kind of open it up to you to take it wherever you want to take it. But well, I, want to thanks, those. Brandon. I, I really truly don't feel that, uh, I'm, uh, unique in any way because my journey with the city of hope is now approaching two years. So, um, without any great, uh, detail but having been diagnosed uh for cancer that started from a sunspot on my lip which i encourage everyone not only sunscreen but don't forget the lip don't forget any part of your body i've seen so many people in the game right lost uh because of cancer because we're out in the sun we're exposed to the sun so uh, when i first walked into the city of hope um in the fall or late summer of 2016 and uh, was diagnosed for the cancer. Prognosis uh, wasn't very good, it was actually pretty bad, um, but uh, had uh, knew that uh, I was going to fight to the best of my ability and so undergoing the uh, radiation, undergoing the uh, chemotherapy and then having the cancer come back and undergoing immunotherapy, it, 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 it gave me certainly the, the closest look in terms of the good work at the city hall. Sure. And, and the remarkable people who were there. And it's not unique. I mean, in cancer cities throughout uh, the centers, throughout the, the, the United States, throughout the world, uh, the, the, the work that goes on to help others. And uh, what, what really struck me, uh, even in first visits, that there was a collective bond there, City Hall. You, you, you walk in, they give you a, a wristband. Hmm. It's almost like putting on a jersey. You suddenly are part of a team. Sure. And if you're fortunate, as I've been, you have a support team that comes with you. Maybe a wife, maybe a father, or son, brother, or sister. Sure. So you had this group, uh, and it's a oneness, because you come in and you literally move almost as one to your appointments and to the City Hope people uh, waiting to assist you. Uh, a lot of battles are lost. Uh, a lot of fighting is done sure. where the battle is lost. But what I wanted to do was to do everything I could uh, to give back to the city hope. So literally from after a month's exposure, uh, I mentioned to someone at city hope that I'd like to help them raise money. And so then that was the thought that was conceived. Uh, how do I do that? Well, the best way for me to do that is to call upon my friends. Sure. And uh, so uh, uh, we uh, thought about it and then I think 2016 and the beginning of 2017, making plans and ultimately launching the Fred Clare Celebrity Golf Classic. Uh, decided to hold it at the club where fortunate, Cheryl and I are fortunate to belong, Oakmont Country Club in Glendale. And um, 
uh, had a uh, tremendous uh, response to the tournament in the uh, first year uh, with many, many uh, great friends and people and involvement. I mean, from uh, Oral Hirschheiser to uh, Ross Porter and Jaime Huran as MCs to Ben Scully Lennon his name for an auction item and Mickey Hatcher and Sean Green and Al the Wolf Rar, and on and on and on. I mean, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, support. Sure. Uh, and uh, so I, I felt very good about being able to give back. We will have the tournament again this year. Excellent. Uh, at, at Oakmont Country Club on August the 20th. Uh, for those of uh, for those who uh, want to make a donation, anybody uh, listening who cares to make a donation, it can be to uh, City of Hope, uh, and then in the corner of the check, uh, Fred Clare Golf. That way, okay. uh, what happens is the funds raised go to what they did last year, go to the head and neck area of cancer. Excellent. Except uh, this year, uh, I've made the arrangements. So half the funding will go to thyroid cancer uh, because we, in the game, uh, lost a, uh, a great, great individual, uh, as the baseball world knows, to thyroid cancer. Uh, earlier this year, and that was uh, Kevin Towers. And so I wanted to do all that I could, Kevin and I, over the uh, last year, 2017, uh, communicated on a uh, uh, weekly uh, basis by text, wow. by phone calls. Uh, we were competitors, we were friends, and then ultimately, teammates sure uh, and so uh, uh, I miss him the, the game misses him uh, his dear family uh, but uh, it's, it's a way to uh, acknowledge the, the, the great person that he was and to try to help and, and fight the uh, the cancer that, that claimed him sure well I think that's excellent I had the fortune to, to meet Kevin one time and everybody that I've ever spoke of throughout the game uh, speaks fondly of him, a very similar manner that, that people speak about you. So I think that's a great, a great honor. And um, that golf tournament, uh, obviously a great cause. I know you guys had tremendous success raising a ton of money for city of hope last year. Um, so I'd encourage anybody that, um, Anybody that can swing a club to come on out uh, and anybody that can write a check to write a check, we'll make sure to put uh, links to the, in the show notes and, and ways to, to contribute. One thing that, you know, I think demonstrates well, a couple observations demonstrate. I got the fortune of playing with Eddie Murray last year and Eddie said, you know, we asked how, how he came to know of it or how, how do you end up at the golf tournament? He said, well, Fred called and when Fred calls you show up. And to me, I don't think there's anything out that, you know, that epitomizes the respect that people have for you more. And obviously the way that you've lived your life. Um, and you know, the other observation that comes out is, uh, I think you sharing with me that, you know, Cheryl getting on you a little bit while you're in the hospital, cause you're the only person getting chemo and organizing a celebrity golf tournament at the same time. So, 
um, you know, that hard work, that dedication, the selflessness, um, you know, these are all reasons that, um, you know, I've told you I have such admiration for you and why we wanted to, to have you, you know, be a part of this and really kind of get your message out there. Um, you know, I want to be mindful of time. I really appreciate you obviously taking this time. So that's kind of what I have, but I'd love for you to finish up. I appreciate up. that, Brandon. And uh, for, um, and I mean this uh, sincerely, uh, for any of the uh, players who are listening, uh, uh, I can be uh, reached through fclaredsbcglobal.net. Great. I'm always uh, happy to try to assist uh, in any way that I can. I love to see uh, the, the great people stay in the game. Uh, and, and, and I've always tried to help in that regard. And I take a lot of satisfaction uh, in that because uh, the game has given me so much uh, that I'll never be able to give back to the game, truly. Uh, but if I can help uh, any player at any time, you don't have to be a former Dodger. <laughs> <laughs> Just no Giants. <laughs> no, I've got a lot of your friends I with know. the uh, Giants, uh, including the manager, uh, uh, Bruce. So, uh, no, um, I, I truly uh, would be happy to uh, assist. And we that. certainly welcome any uh, support uh, for the uh, uh, City of Hope. Uh, because it does such great work. Great. Well, thank you, Fred. I really appreciate it. Um, and look forward to potentially having you back for a roundup. So thank you, Fred. Thank you so much for listening to the Athlete CEO podcast. I hope you enjoyed our show today and are ready to take action on the advice from today's episode. Our goal with the Athlete CEO podcast is to make it the go-to resource for athletes and entrepreneurs looking to take their game to the next level. Love the show you have any suggestions on how we can improve, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, tweet, and share your thoughts. We do our best to read every single one. We'll see you next week with another world-class episode.